like we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN and the KLWN app, klwn.com. With Adam Dravetta, I am Derek Johnson. We got KU Women's Basketball in the airwaves tonight, 615 taking on a good Iowa State team. We heard David Lawrence earlier this week say this uh, could be a good test for him on the road against a uh, quality opponent. I I just wanted to make brief mention at the top of today's show, though. Another day, another happy day that Lance Leipold is now the head coach at KU and it (laughs) is no longer Les Miles because there's a story that is circulating around the interwebs right now today. Jamar Chase was asked at a media availability for for the Bengals like what's something that motivated you as, as a player to get to where you were or where you are and he said you know when I was in high school Les Miles told me that he didn't think I was good enough to play corner or play receiver and then he said I I'd have to play corner and I think that probably coincided with the time when I wonder if that like spurned him from LSU and he was like forget this guy then he commits to KU, but mm-hmm. then eventually, like, Ed Orgeron was the head coach, and he was like, okay, now I can go back to LSU. Hey, hey, come on, man. I will wide You play wide receiver. Come on, Dad, LA, you play wide receiver. He was like, I don't know what you said, but I love it. I love um, it. Yeah, that's an, I mean, that's entirely possible. I, I think that is, uh, is deservedly on the list of reasons we would prefer to have Lance Leipold over uh, Les Miles. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it may be, like, 500th on the list but it's still on the list but that's a long list of I mean it, I, I just I texted uh you and another friend of mine and it's just like like okay so you're you want now look all KU fans want KU to have a good football program you're especially big on it because you love college football um I'm big on I also love college football but the, the difference between me and you is I remember as a fan KU being really good and my other friend is the same way. He also remembers it could because, as we've talked about before, you didn't become a, a very big KU fan until about 12 or 13 when you decided to come to KU uh, for school. But we, you know, my other buddy, we remember when KU was was really good uh, in football. And it's it's one of those things where I texted you and my other friend a week or two ago, and it, it's like it's not just. The it isn't just the the yes that looks like they're improving. I still think Lance Lightbold at some time in his tenure at KU goes to a bowl game. I think they're on a very good trajectory, um, and it's exciting to get great you know portal or great commits from the transfer portal, et cetera, et cetera. But it just feels like it just feels like it's he's not a moron. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he it just he it feels like we have a real college football program. Well, I mean, and there have been good coaches who have misevaluated players. I mean, you're not going to get the evaluation on every single player right. So I, I want to stop there. Like, this is kind of a, a, a time to pile on, though, because yeah, Les Miles has so Makes many times right? of being 
way off on things. It's just really hard. When, and I remember this happened with Mac Brown in his latter years at, at Texas. He wanted, I think, RG3 and Johnny Manziel to come in and, and play safety. Yeah. Um. So those were, were bad misses. But, like, it's just it's so bad when you have a guy in Jamar Chase who is literally one of the, I don't know, five best receivers in the entire world. That's the thing. Jamar Chase is a good NFL player. RG3 and Johnny Manziel weren't good NFL quarterbacks. Yeah. He was he's not just a good NFL player. He was the Bolitnikoff winner. He was named the best receiver in college football the last year that he played and then he sat out the year anyway. Um I do want to get to some talk about KJ Adams. We spent most of yesterday discussing the you know, why didn't Remy Martin play Dewan over Remy and that kind of whole point guard you know, push and pull between the two. There was another, uh, I guess, decision in that game of, of a guy not playing at the end of that game because K.J. Adams came in in the second half, and, and he played pretty well. Um, they tried to use him as a defensive stopper on Bryson Williams because nobody was able to do that, and he, he defended him pretty well, but Bryson Williams still made the shots because that's just how good Bryson Williams was in that game. But he provided some some good hustle plays and everything, and when KU went from going up 70 to 58 to, to losing that lead and eventually it going to overtime, it not only coincided with Remy Martin coming out of the game, it coincided with KJ Adams coming out of the game. And I mentioned this yesterday, like David McCormick and Mitch Lightfoot were fine for the overall portion of the game. They weren't great, but they were fine. Dave ended up with 13 points, five rebounds in the game. But that that final four or five minute stretch after KJ came in for a little and then they got put back on the floor to close the game, they were not very good. And then you go into first overtime after they weren't very good and they weren't very good in the first overtime either. And it was like not just the conversation of, hey, why is Remy not playing? I think they're also to a smaller segment because it's not as as headliney or or noteworthy because of how I think beloved Remy is by the fan base. KJ Adams not playing in in that stretch from the first overtime and the end of regulation. I think it was a pretty pretty big sticking point for me as well. But then he came in in the second overtime and I think you saw the impact and and I don't know what to do with this. Is this one of those things that happened that you look at having a big impact moving forward, that it's going to change things for K.J. Adams, that's going to change things for KU at the five? Or you do, do you just look at this as K.J. Adams had a good matchup or K.J. Adams just had a good game? Um, I think we've seen enough of K.J. Adams to know. I think you probably saw his best game, but I think you, we've seen enough of K.J. Adams to believe this is sustainable. Now, look, if he comes out against Kentucky – and plays eight minutes and goes 0 for 2 and, and has two fouls, and that's all he does on the box score, that won't stun me. But that's nothing against him. It's that he's a freshman, and, and there's growing pains. Um, But he's steadily improved. I think the biggest thing it shows me, I don't think he's ever going to surpass uh, Dave or Mitch in, min- in minutes regularly. Now, there may be a game where, you know, Dave gets 18, Mitch gets you know, whatever, seven, and KJ gets, you know, 10 or 12. Um, I know my math isn't perfect there, but you get what I'm saying. They, there could be games like that, but I think the regularly the minutes, the average minutes will still be KJ in third at that five spot. Uh, But what I think it shows you is with that combination of three, you're in a much better chance of getting that 20 and 12 that Bill Self has has asked for, um, for this whole, you know, since, since kind of this, 
um, I don't want to call it crisis, but since that difficulty at the five spot has come up, uh, it was, you know, he, he brought that number up. When I remember him bringing it up was when he switched Mitch into the um, into the, the starting lineup ahead of that case or Oklahoma State game. Um, so I think what it shows more than anything is you have a much better chance of those three combining for that 20 and 12 that self wants from that five spot. Yeah, and I, I don't mean to say like by KJ playing well down the stretch that he's always going to be the guy down the stretch or that he's going to be the starting five or the five that plays the most minutes. I think that'll still be, for the most part, Dave and, and to a lesser degree, Mitch. Um, but I, I do wonder, like, is this enough, this one game, for him to firmly be at least some part of the rotation? Because we've seen games where he just didn't play at all. Like yeah. Stephen F. Austin, Oklahoma State, the uh, the game in, in Stillwater, he just didn't play at all. Or games where he only played, like, for a very brief stretch. He, a stretch. he played three minutes in Lubbock against Tech. He played three minutes against Oklahoma. Um, but he played 17 minutes against Tech, which was more than any game he's played in. Uh, the only other game that he's played double digits was 10 against Iowa State. So this was by far a bigger role that KJ has played than any other game. Do you think that at the very least he will be a part of the rotation moving forward? I have to think yes. I have to think that, that yeah, we, we clearly, I think, have established that KU now is a three-man rotation at the five spot. Mm-hmm. Um, the only exception is if, if Dave is going nuts and or if there's some crazy mismatch that that is allowing Dave to have like a, a you know, 23 and 18 type night. I'm not saying that will happen, but I'm saying that's, that's a time when I could see an exception to that. That the you know the Dave is on such a crazy roll that um, that that they keep him in because he's playing so well and it's such a hard mismatch for the other team. Now, if that's the case, that would be a good thing for KU. So I, I wouldn't complain about that. But I think it's very clear, yeah, from from the effort and and just not just the effort, but the importance of his effort. You know, coaches love effort, but if you you're not doing much if you just happen to be playing hard but doing the wrong things. Now, coaches would prefer that. Because they'll say, okay, well, you're at least you're playing hard. Now let me teach you how to do the right things. But KJ is doing smart things as he's playing hard, um, and, and so I think, yeah, I think we've it's been solidified now that KU has a five has a three man rotation at the five spot. I think it's very clear who is one, two, and three, but I think it's clear that they there is a third guy, and I think it's KJ. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you, and, and I do think that he will firmly be getting some sort of minutes going forward, whether that's just five minutes or if it's ten, dependent on the matchup in the game. I think Texas Tech kind of was a, a perfect matchup to have him in there because they basically do play a bunch of guys who are between like 6'4 and, and 6'8. Which, for the record, those are also the types of guys that offensively McCormick has struggled a lot because whether he just has to do it, whether he's taught to it, I I don't know, but he brings the ball down to his waist a lot when he catches mm-hmm. it, and that's prime location for those shorter fives to smack it away. Yes, and so that's a. I mean that that doesn't scare you as much now. I think if, if you're looking at that, going, man, Dave is is getting the ball stolen a lot by these smaller big men. It does, you're not as scared to go. All right, put in KJ. Yeah, yeah, I think that he's going to be a little matchup dependent in that way. But I do think he's going to stick to some degree, even though it's not going to be a sizable role. But it's weird because I also don't think it's going to have an immediate impact. And what I mean by that, KU's next game is against Kentucky. Oscar Shibway is unbelievable for Kentucky. This dude's like 6'9", 250. Obviously, KU is is familiar from him um, 
from when he was playing with West Virginia, and he was really good there too. But he's taken a whole nother leap this year, and he is averaging like 20 points and 15 rebounds per game. He's he, the big man that every good John Calipari team has. Yeah. At least since he's been at Kentucky. And he's playing um, like thir- over 30 minutes per game. So it's not like they're playing a bunch of small ball five. I kind of wonder if, as I, as counterintuitive as it sounds to all this, of where KJ performed at the biggest moment in the clutch moments, and, and those should be the moments that earn your trust with the coaching staff, because of the matchup, because you are basically a five, and Oscar Shibway is going to be in there most of the game, I kind of think there's going to be a pretty sizable step back, at least for this next game, for K.J. Adams against Kentucky. But then after that, maybe he does kind of uh, implant himself more on the rotation. And as far as as what that would do for KU, if I were to tell you, yeah, now KU does trust K.J. Adams more, and K.J. is going to be a, a bigger part of the rotation and and part of, I guess, kind of that, that three-headed monster at the center position. Does that do anything for you in terms of impact on the team and and how that could possibly affect a, a run in March? Uh, r- real quick, I do want to add on, on the topic of Chibwe. Last night, uh, for anybody listening on the podcast, this is the Wednesday. Um, we're, we're doing this show on a Wednesday. So it, this was last night. Kentucky beat Mississippi State. That game went to overtime. Um, Kentucky won by eight, so they pulled away in overtime. But Chibwe, uh, 21 points, 22 boards. And that's just another day at the office for him. He's just been a freak all year. Um, so I just, his even his most recent game ahead of the game against KU, what we now know was, was amazing. Um, to answer your question, I think it, the biggest thing, it helps in two ways. One, uh, matchups. Um, if there is a, 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 a struggle, a matchup that may cause a player like Dave to struggle. As I just said, you're not as afraid to put in uh, a guy like K.J. Adams. But I think secondly, another place where it really matters is is foul trouble. Um, if, if you get too, you know, you don't, you know, if you get too quick, I, I think, and, I, and we talked about this with Newell earlier this year, that in general, Self has done a better job of, of not not going to that immediate, oh, two fouls, you're sitting mode. Um but I do think it's an okay thing to do when you have the luxury of taking out a, a guy and not losing much. You know, I, I still think you lose lose something, at least when Dave's playing really well. I think you lose something going from Dave to KJ, but it's not this disaster. Now, it's not going from, you know, it's not Darnell Jackson getting a second foul and you put in Sasha Khan, but you're still in, in good hands. You know, if, if Dave needs a breather, if Dave gets a quick cup, quick couple quick fouls, you're not, you know, this isn't a situation where the the coach just goes, all right, now attack, 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 um, because KJ can at least hold his own. Um, so I think those those would be the two reasons I would think it could help in a March run is you're going to see different matchup styles, you're going to see different types of play, different types of teams. So any good, any any options that are not just good at better, not better, but equal in quality, but also different in type. Um, the, the quality of play remains about the same, but the type of play is different. That helps when you're going against different matchups. And then, as I said, if, if you're playing, uh, um, uh, if you're, you know, if, if because one, you know, if David McCormick is tired because you're playing the second game of a weekend and he gets a couple lazy fouls early on, you, you don't have this huge drop off going to KJ. Yeah, I, th- I think from the NCAA tournament perspective, the biggest thing for me is that it just allows you to play different. If you're playing a team that 
is like Tech, where they do have uh, a smaller front line, and they are more of a team that you need to switch on and everything. Like, you know you have that option now in your back pocket that you can trust. And actually, now that I think it through, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm going to go back on the idea that maybe this Saturday won't be an opportunity for KJ, because as I think of Oscar Shibway, you think of this big, like, he's not overly tall. He's not seven feet tall. He's like 6'9", um, but he's just so strong. And I I almost wonder, because of the tree trunk legs and, like, the strength that K.J. Adams has, maybe he's actually a better matchup for Oscar Sheepway than, like, Mitch Lightfoot off the bench. You oh, know? I would think Mitch Lightfoot for sure. Because, excuse me, at the very least, I think he's not... I think KJ is not only stronger, I think he's faster than Mitch. Quicker anyway. I don't know if look if you want to line him up running a forty, mm-hmm. I don't know who's going to be faster there. But I think in terms of the quickness that you need when you're in a defensive stance and shuffling with a guy, um, and and not in get not getting behind him, I think KJ's quicker than than Mitch there. So I comparing you know and that I've been talking this whole time comparing McCormick to uh, to KJ, but in in with Mitch, you could be right. Well, and we haven't seen Zach Clements in a few games. He's warmed up the last few, though. I think it's clear. Maybe this is a reintroduction for Zach Clements because if you're, if I mean, think about it. If if David McCormick, if we go into Saturday and David McCormick gets two early fouls against Oscar Shibway. Yeah, the foul part is a big thing. Yeah, that, that, that's what I mean. I'm, I'm not saying, like, Zach is going to play a big role on, on hand, but let's say it's off script because of fouls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're going, what is our best option here? Because Mitch Lightfoot has done a serviceable job as a backup five, but that's not a good matchup for him with Oscar Shibway. It'd be similar to, like, remember when Angel Delgado at Seton Hall put up, like, 20 and 20? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, like, the player Oscar Shibway is. And that was against Mitch Lightfoot, mostly. When Doak was in there, even playing with the injury, uh, Angel Delgado didn't do much. But, again, if if Dave is in foul trouble and you have to put Mitch in, I don't know how good of a matchup he is. KJ might be a better matchup strength-wise, but he's also not center height. And maybe you just say, we'll put in Zach Clements and Oscar Shibway's not a good perimeter defender and say, you know what, we'll we'll just trade try, threes for two. Yeah, try to make up what mm-hmm. Oscar Shibway does against Clements offensively or defense when, when KU is on defense. Mm-hmm. KU can make up for that when they're on offense. That's an interesting thought. I'll also say it's an interesting chance to get an experiment because Bill Self has said it, it means a lot. I'm trying to think of the exact way... He worded it, but he essentially said it, it means nothing in regarding the league race and what they're trying to accomplish, which he's right. He said it may matter in terms of the seeding line, which he's right. But in terms of conference, you know, if, if they can lose this game. You know, they, they, they really want to win it, but they can lose this game and, and still accomplish everything they want to accomplish this year. And, I mean, this, this could be a chance to experiment with that. Now, now Self kind of had a ha- has a habit of, of yeah. trying to win every single individual game. But th- that is an interesting opportunity to experiment. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. We will talk with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star in about 15 minutes. Josh Briscoe joins us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. More KU talk on the other side. This is RCST. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN, klwn.com. Joined now by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, kansascity.com. 
Jesse, we were just talking about the ESPN mock draft that came out. It had Ochai at 12, Christian Brown at 29. And if if you would have told me he would come in at that, you're talking about this big wing at the end of December when he put up over 20 points per game in December and was filling up the stat sheet, I would have believed it. But I'm a little surprised here because as I'm looking at his numbers in January, uh, it's been more of a struggle. He's shooting 37% from the field in January, 30% from three, 42 from two-point range. It's down to 12 points per game. Is this just kind of a, a slump, do you think, for Christian Brown? Is it uh, a change in the defenses they're playing? And, and how important is it to get him back to the way he was playing? I guess what's kind of driving that right now? Yeah, so um, it, it has been rougher for him. And I, I think, you know, what we're kind of a, always slaves to the moment. And the Texas Tech game in particular he had so many wide open threes and, and was missing them and then also missing them badly. So, uh, you know, one game sample there, but I, I think it was just a little bit startling, you know, the, the, how far off he was on those shots, especially considering how wide open they were. But uh, as I mentioned, I think in general, if we can do these things, we want to go bigger picture or look at more data rather than less. And so it's probably fine to, not think he's going to be a 20-point-per-game score like he was in December, but it's probably also fine to say, hey, you know, we have data from two and a half years of Christian Brown shooting threes. He's a 36% career three-point shooter. And so the struggles he's had in Big 12 play when he's at 30%, those more than likely are going to be better rather than worse moving forward. So, you know, I, I think uh, for him, we can talk about, quote, struggles. We can talk about him not playing like he was a month ago. And I can also tell you I'm – you know, I can pull up the, the Ken Pomeroy Big 12 Conference Player of the Year standings right now, and uh, right now it's first Ochai Abaji, second Christian Brown. So, um, <laughs> you know, his, his struggles are relative compared to, uh, you know, what potentially other guys are going through out there or other people on Kansas's team. But, yeah, uh, Kansas would love to have him going back to um, a little bit of what he was before. And uh, some of the numbers shooting-wise have not been as good, but as we know with Christian, he helps in other ways. He, he's been a better passer. He blocks some shots. He gets rebounds. He's got the free throw line better than a lot of his teammates. So there's other ways for him to help the team. And I think once his shooting gets straightened out, especially from three, he'll be able to add up those points in a hurry, which he hasn't been able to do here the last two games. Well, and with with a guy who, like Christian, who has done so well in the transition game and uh, was you know shooting over 70% from two through the month of December, I think, a lot of that was from easy transition baskets. I, I can't help but wonder if there's a correlation between Christian being able to and, and like you said like some of the shots maybe start to fall that that changes things too I'm not like overly worried that this would continue but how, how much of a correlation do you think there is between Remy Martin not playing and, and Remy Martin maybe not playing well or, or a bigger role and that really being a driving force into KU's transition game with Christian's game dropping off a little bit statistically you know, that's a big thing. And I think you add that, too, to the Big 12. Um, we sort of joke about it or just say, this is crazy. But you look at the Big 12 and how good are the defenses in the Big 12. I mean, this is this might be a historically great defensive conference. I mean, Kansas is the worst defensive team in the Big 12. <laughs> and it's, it's, like, not that close. KU and adjusted defensive efficiency is 49th. The next worst team, quote, worst team in the Big 12 is K-State at 29th. So KU is 20 spots behind. Then you're talking about the other eight teams are all in the top 27. Uh, so these teams make it tough. They get back. They don't get easy baskets. And, and you're right with Remy. You know, Remy 
even against a team like Texas Tech that gets back very well, he was able to get down to court, pitch ahead, do the things that he does to get guys open shots, and it seems like the shots are easier in transition when he's out there. So probably a confluence of a few things uh, for Christian Brown in that sense, but uh, th- that's just naturally going to happen too in Big 12 play because of the defenses are out there and the coaches teaching the defenses, and then there's just such an emphasis on getting back. There's a, such an emphasis on getting your defense set and making teams score while trying to go five-on-five five because otherwise, like we thought, the, the one game recently that Kansas really ran another team out of the gym was West Virginia, and Kansas didn't play that well great or that great early, but second half they just got running, and they beat them down the floor and got easy dunks, and that's the way to, to really pile it on a team. You haven't seen it much other than that one half against West Virginia, and I think that a lot of that goes back to Big 12 coaches and the philosophy they have and uh, sort of the style that this league has come to see with defenses where um, it's the old Mitch Lightfoot saying in the old song, I think, no easy buckets. And there are not many easy buckets to come by in the Big 12. <laughs> uh, well, they're out of conference play this Saturday, taking on Kentucky. Do you think it will be an opportunity for them to, to get the transition game going? What are you kind of uh, most keeping your eye on in, in the game against the Wildcats? Yeah, I mean, some, the thing about Kansas, uh, if you remember, it was a last year's pandemic game that they played against Kentucky. They were able to get some transition, and they were able to score in that particular way. So uh, potentially there, you know, the one thing about Kentucky you have to worry about always is length and athleticism. You know, are, are there going to be chase down blocks? Are there guys chasing down from behind? All of those sorts of things. But, you know, I, Oscar Shibway, um he was a great fit. Just I, you know, just just from player type at West Virginia because that's how Bob Huggins plays. You know, throw it off the glass, go get the rebound and dunk it. And obviously, whatever reasons, personal issues, whatever the case may be, uh, she waited to stay there. But then he transferred to Kentucky, which again is just a perfect fit for him. I mean, John Calipari. You know, we give Bill Self credit for kind of coming out of um, his shell when it comes to three pointers. You know, that KU has shot up a lot more in recent years. He's gone to a four guard lineup. He's done kind of more modern things with his offense. John Calipari is fine not doing that. You know what I mean? He's fine firing up the mid-range. He's fine having his big man just completely crash the glass and go get easy buckets and, and, and score in that way. And, and so uh, that's what Kansas has to worry about here. You know, they've got to be better on the glass. They've got to have guys that box out. They've got to go up with two hands and not get it knocked away. And, and that's the major issue that, that KU is really going to have to counter here. And like I said, I mean, they did it last year against Kentucky when – most of the game, they played a five-guard lineup. Uh, I remember Jalen Wilson was in there and, and really fighting and, and hustling for boards, and it was kind of one of those stretches where David McCormick wasn't playing that well. So, yeah, uh, guys like Brown and, and Wilson and McCormick, when he's in, they've just got to be locked in, and they've got to hit a guy and go up with two hands and, and be tough with the rebound. We've seen it from KU at times this year, but uh, it's emphasized against Kentucky. If you don't get, do it against them, it's going to be dunks for Oscar and the rest of the guys. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that all plays out, but you know, defensively, Kentucky, they're going to rebound. They're, they're going to guard you inside. They're going to block some shots. They're going to be athletic. Uh, but offensively, they're just going to throw it up there and go get off the glass. And KU faces a lot of those teams in the Big 12, but Kentucky is going to be like one of those Big 12 teams. And if you don't box them out, you're going to get beat. We're going to do a draft uh, later in the show of, of reasons why this team will achieve making the Final Four or reasons why they'll fall short. Um, so I guess the bad traits of the team versus the good traits that you could explain if, if they do make it or don't of why that happened. Uh, what do you think comes to mind for you for the best reason why this team would make the final four and the maybe best reason why they wouldn't? Well, I would say the best reason for is 
in college basketball. I mean, it's kind of like the NFL a little bit and what you see with the Chiefs. The most controllable thing you have is offense over defense. You can control more of what happens on that side of the ball, and KU is elite there. You know, they're third in adjusted efficiency. I think behind only Purdue and Gonzaga at this point in the season. But if you're looking for something that is most reliable game to game, I, I know, again, listen, I know Bill Self will preach defense. Everybody wants better defense. You want to have both. I mean, obviously, you want to be, have a good offense and a good defense. But if you could pick one in sports, uh, like college basketball and the NFL, you would rather have an offense because you have more control over that and the ball is in your hands. And so for Kansas, that is a more reliable thing, and they have something that is great on that end. Not to mention this team lines up pretty well if you look stat-wise. They compare a lot to 2017 KU and 2018 KU. And if you go back to those teams, I mean, 2017 was an eyelash away from the Final Four, played an underseeded Villanova team to get there and ended up losing that game, but but very close and with a better route could have made it. And 2018, uh, they did make it. They were a, a slight underdog against Duke in the Elite Eight, but was able to you know overcome that, win that game in overtime, and, and make it there. So I would say the best case for is what I just said, which is, Offensively, you'd rather be good there than defensively elite because um, you have a better chance of sustaining that over a four-game sample and sustaining that game-to-game. And this team looks a lot like the ones that either came an eyelash from the Final Four uh, for Kansas or ones that did make the Final Four here a few years ago. And the case against this is probably the opposite. You know, you'd love to have balance. You'd love to have better defense, and KU hasn't figured it out yet. You know, 49th defensively is not a place where Bill Self teams are normally at, and just looking at them at a glance, I don't know what they can hang their hat on. Bill Self talks about that a lot over time. You know, what can you be your identity? What can you do? Well, it's not shot blocking, and it's not defensive rebounding, and it's not really creating turnovers, and it's not really protecting the paint. So, like, what does Kansas do well? You know, what, what are they really, really good at on that end? What can they buy into when the game is close late and, and they know that they need to stop? What are they going to – you know, rely upon, and, and I don't think they have that answer right now. But then again, I don't know if the 2018 had that answer either, and they made the Final Four too. So um, a lot of questions uh, at this point in the season for Kansas and what they might be moving forward, but uh, I would say that, uh, you know, there are reasons to be encouraged and, and obviously reasons to still wonder whether this team will have what it takes in a one-and-done scenario to make it as far as, as many fans will hope. All right, Adam, go ahead and hit the uh, big man carousel music. All right, K.J. Adams plays late and well for KU. Was that just about getting fresh legs and a good matchup in that game, or do you think this means anything moving forward? Well, yeah, I mean, both. Um, KU was really struggling to guard Bryson Williams. You know, <laughs> they had nobody to match up with him. I think they tried six different guys on him, and he was too big for some guys. He was uh, too good of a pick-and-pop threat for other guys. And so KJ made the most sense, and he held his own in there, a big, strong kid who obviously is athletic and challenged shots. And uh, I also think that because it's like the chicken or the egg with Bill Self, you have to gain his trust to play, uh, but to play late, you have to gain his trust at some moment. So this was a good opportunity for him, and he played well in that scenario. So I still think Kansas really needs big Dave. I think he gets primary minutes there, but KJ, I think, definitely could chip into uh, some of Mitch Lightfoot's minutes, and potentially that might be what it is moving forward just based off this last performance. So, uh, yeah, I would expect to see more KJ moving forward. I thought he played well. I thought he gave him some good things offensively, too, on the board. And 
if he starts taking away some of Mitch Lightfoot's minutes moving forward, I think that that is something that definitely could be in the, the likely range of scenarios. Yeah, we were wondering in the opening segment, like if Dave were to get in foul trouble on Saturday against Kentucky, who who would the matchup be? Do you go with Mitch? Because on, on paper, uh, Mitch against Oscar Sheepway does not seem like it would work. KJ is shorter than Mitch, but maybe because he's he's strong, he would be the guy to go with outside of them. But then do you just go Zach Clements or Jalen Wilson and say, you know what, we'll just deal with trading you know, threes for twos, although Jalen hasn't really been the best three-point shooter. Um, all right, we're talking about Jesse Newell here of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. Before we get into Kiss, Mary Kill here, Jesse, on a scale of 1 to 10, your level of happiness that KU is not playing at Auburn this weekend in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. <laughs> Oh man. Um, well, probably, probably a six. It would be a five. You know, most of it, I think, was good natured fun with the AP poll in the last week. Most of it was good natured fun, not all of it, <laughs> most of it. Um, but would your wife yeah. let you go on that trip? Oh yeah, she would let me go. <laughs> I, I think the only concern any of us would have because this actually didn't. Would she let was, you go on that trip because you happen to have like a million dollar life insurance policy or something? <laughs> Well, yeah, the, the, the video showing Bo Jackson being very upset about this AP poll ranking, that's what got it from a five to a six, because any potential for me to meet Bo Jackson in a dark alley somewhere in Alabama, uh, that might not go well for me. <laughs> that might be very bad for me. So um, it would have been fine. It would have been fun probably to uh, go do those things. But, uh, yeah, Bo was the main concern for me. Um, one of my heroes growing up around these parts, but – uh, I saw him break enough bats over his head or over his knee to know that I wouldn't stand much of a chance if he got really angry at me. Okay, so what we're going to do on this week's edition of Kiss, Mary Kill, Jesse, I am giving you as a, you know, I don't know, reprieve from the Auburn thing, this is your opportunity to um, pull from the graveyard, so to speak. So I am giving you three teams that you killed off already and I'm going to let you reset with another Kiss, Mary Kill with them. You game for this? All right, let's do it. All right, the first team is Duke. You killed off Duke earlier this season. The second team is Kentucky. You also killed off uh, another blue blood in Kentucky. And the third team is a team that just beat Arizona last night, UCLA, which some would consider a blue blood. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I will, uh, I will kiss UCLA. I that was a good win, uh, a convincing win, and they've had enough COVID stuff go through their program that I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that some of these numbers, uh, for efficiency numbers, they can shake off a little bit because, you know, we all saw Baylor last year. For a while, Baylor was just not themselves, and then when they snapped out of it, they were obviously among the best teams in the nation, one of the two best teams in the nation along with Gonzaga. American Kentucky, I mean, there's just so many good players, and Chibwe is just playing another level. I mean, that, that dude's the first team All-American, I think, and he'll give you a chance in any game. So I'm fine getting back on the Kentucky bandwagon. Uh, I guess that leaves me killing Duke again, and um, I think without the name there and without Paolo on the team, where everybody's talking about potentially being you know, a top two, three pick, whatever it is, you, you would not see the same type of, Duke team that would make people think that this is a national title contender. So I'm fine leaving them killed in this one and happy uh, or ready to take the risk that I might be wrong come the first week of April. I don't think I will be wrong, but if I am, you guys can find the audio and replay it for me. All right, you have killed Coach K's retirement tour twice now 
if once wasn't enough. Jesse Newell, Kansas City star. Check out his work, KansasCity.com as well. Before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Jesse, one last thing. At what point does your name go from Newell to Oldwell? <laughs> oh, man. Um, I guess it just depends what Auburn fans think, you know. Yeah. Whatever whatever they want online, it's just going to be. But, yeah, that was that was quite the week last week. Uh, I've, I've never – I mean, I've been doing the AP poll for a while. Uh, I've never experienced anything quite like that. And uh, if anybody wants to laugh, um, go to the old Twitter.com and, and type in Jesse Newell, and you will see all sorts of gifts and photos and photoshops that I did not know were possible. <laughs> Frankly, some, like, it's how I learned that they have Internet in the state of Alabama, so <laughs> – I mean, wrestling ones and Dumb and Dumber memes and Family Guy. Uh, I mean, it is it is all over the place, guys. I mean, um, it's so entertaining that you, you guys asked about my wife letting me go to Auburn. Um, it was kind of how she and her uh, co-workers passed the time here in Lawrence. I think they got on their lunch break and started typing in Jesse Newell to Twitter and, and laughing at all the gifts that were up there. That's great. He's Jesse Newell, Kansas City star, KansasCity.com. Jesse, thank you so much for the time as always. All right, thanks, guys. All right, check out his work, Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. This is RCST. Josh Briscoe joins us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. At the top of the 4 o'clock hour, we'll have Around the World with Adam, and then we'll get into those good and bad traits of KU basketball that could or could not lead to a Final Four. That all coming up next. Four o'clock hour with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll be joined at the top of the five o'clock hour by Josh Briscoe to talk some Chiefs football. But first, it's that time on a Wednesday. Time for Around the World with Adam. Wow, that was very exciting. Thank you. <laughs> we are going to start in the most terrifying nation on the planet. Derek, what is the most terrifying nation well, on the planet? I know for you it's Australia. It is Australia. Yeah. This from the UPI, an Australian woman uh, was... She found. I'm just going to tell you, it was a type of food. Where did this woman find uh, a scorpion? I don't know. In her bathroom, probably. No, it was, it was in her food. Something in, in oh, involving food. Like she was salad, making dinner. You know, not far off. Uh, in a package of broccoli from a local supermarket. So it was sealed. And, uh, she discovered a live scorpion lurking oh, inside. Alive? Is, yes. Okay, this got totally different for me. Chloe Mitchell said her father-in-law bought the broccoli from an Aldi store in uh, Oladola, New South Wales. That's a fun name. She, yeah, Oladola. And she made a surprising discovery uh, while preparing for a meal. Uh, I put it in the steamer on the stove, and then I turned <laughs> around to get the last few pieces and saw something crawling along the chopping board, she told the news.com.au. Mitchell shared photos of her discovery to the Aldi. Apparently, there's a, a Facebook page. Aldi mums, you know, they say they mm-hmm. moms, they say mums mm-hmm. in Australia. So uh, to the, the Aldi mums page on Facebook, I yelled for my husband to come in the kitchen and he said some choice words. Uh, she said the eight-legged creature became aggressive when she and her husband attempted catch it. Duh. It was very angry, said Mitchell. She and her father-in-law ultimately disposed of the scorpion. They talk about these are the nicest people. I ever, know. They didn't which just makes, smash it. Well, this makes me wonder if they're lying. Father-in-law ultimately disposed of the scorpion, fearing for the damage it could do to the local ecosystem if it escaped from the home. (laughs) An Aldi representative told 7 News the discovery was not a common occurrence. Quote, we strongly encourage customers to bring issues to our attention directly so we can review, the representative said. Without contact with the customer, we can confirm that it is very unusual 
and that this broccoli hitchhiker isn't where they belong, which likely is back on our Aussie producer's farm. Okay, um, I guess the first thing that, that pops into my mind is, would you rather the scorpion be alive or dead? I, I don't care. I no, mean, no. This I think this matters because I would say I would say dead. I mean, I think I either way, you're not eating the salad, clearly, or the broccoli. I keep thinking it's salad, uh, broccoli. Um, but it'd be easier to manage if it was dead. I think the live. If you told me you have to eat the broccoli, still, if it could poison. I'd rather could, be alive. Yeah, because the poison could leak out if it was all right. dead. Right, and if it was alive, like you could at least. Conv- like if it's dead, you're like, how long has that been in there? Yeah. Right? And you're just like, how did it get in there? In there, right? It's dead. Did somebody put a dead scorpion in this thing before they closed it up? At least when it's alive, it's like, okay, maybe he, I don't know, whatever. I'd rather it be alive in that situation. But like you said, yeah, uh, I would not want to deal with having to kill a scorpion. Do you think that's like normal in Australia? Instead of like, like you might go home and and maybe you'll see a spider in the corner of the room and, and you'll be like, well, this sucks. I have to kill the spider. You see a scorpion, which I feel like that is worse. I mean, spiders are creepy to me, but yeah. I, I would agree that in terms of your of your safety, scorpions mm-hmm. are probably worse. Yeah, you don't know how poisonous that thing is. Spiders, I guess, you pretty could say poisonous the same with spiders, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's all just—it's absolutely a land of terrors down there, and I don't ever want to go. See, I do want to go to Australia. Ugh. I think I think this segment the, is you trying to keep me from going on. The thing to is, I I do kind of want to go to Australia. I've been I love tennis. I've been watching the Australian Open. But golly, man, that place is just an absolute freaking nightmare <laughs> island. Uh, we're going to move on. This is, um, well, it, it, they thought this story took place in Switzerland. Turned out it took place in North Carolina. Okay. Wait, what? <laughs> this also from the UPI. A prank video on TikTok fooled a disappointed Florida woman into visiting a North Carolina town she, <laughs> no sus- she expected to look like Switzerland. And now the town's mayor is weighed in. Olivia said in a TikTok video that she and her family were driving through the Carolinas to have a look at recent snowfall, and she convinced them to make a detour to Gastonia, a town where she had recently seen in a viral TikTok video from Zachary Kesey, or Keese, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Keese's video, part of what he calls Not Carolina series, features footage of his trip to Switzerland, which he intentionally misidentified as Gastonia, we saw what I assume are the Swiss Alps and went, hey, it's beautiful Gastonia. I make the same stupid yeah. thing. Like when people I follow are, you know, post pictures from like the beach. I may have yeah. done it when you and, and your wife were on the honeymoon. They'll post pictures from the beach and I'll be like, oh, Indianapolis, yes, beautiful. Yes. I'll no, do stupid crap like that. It always cracks me out. Like somebody will be in like Tahiti or something and, and post a picture of them or, or they're on like one of those awesome like beach resorts yeah, where yeah, your, yeah. your like condo is on the water, like yeah, over yeah, the yeah. water. And they'll be like, Lake Perry, Kansas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this guy did that exact same thing, claiming it. it was Gastonia, North Carolina. <laughs> Most people knew it was in. It was a joke. However, uh, Gar- Garcia is the Olivia Garcia is the name of the woman who got confused. Um, Garcia told WBTV the video made Gastonia look quote like a little town out of a Disney movie. She said the reality of Gastonia came as a surprise. Quote, and then all of a sudden we get there. And it's just run-down gas stations. Like, we had to go to the bathroom, and there was no bathroom that worked in any of the gas stations. Here's something about the South. I don't know if we were in North Carolina at this point, if we are in Virginia. But when I was 12, we took a trip to uh, Colonial Williamsburg. We also went to Virginia Beach. But because it was cheaper, we flew into Raleigh-Durham Airport in North Carolina and, and rented a car to drive up to, to um, uh, Williamsburg, where we stayed. 
And so I don't know if at this point we were in the south of Virginia or the north of North Carolina, but we were in, um, you know, we, we were in uh, uh, deliverance territory. And we stopped. This wasn't at a gas station, but we, were, we stopped at a, at a hotel because I, I really had had a lot of soda and water. And so we walk into this uh, kind of rundown looking hotel uh, and we go, it was, we couldn't find, couldn't, couldn't find a, an open gas station. So we just walk up and there was a lady and she fit in where she was in that part of the country. And she goes, and we go, we go um, excuse me, I, I really have to use the restroom. You know, can you help me? And she just looked at us and goes in this exact voice. We ain't got no public restrooms. All right. Have a good one. So that that uh, led to us laughing a great deal and then having to uh, me having to mm. hold my pee for longer. So now I understand this this poor woman's uh, this conundrum in that she went to a place in the south that had no working bathrooms. Um, Garcia Garcia's reaction uh, to the Gastonia or to the real Gastonia earned the attention of Walker E. Reed the third, the town's mayor. He said. Apparently, we are the talk of the town, and while Gastonia is certainly not Switzerland, we're glad people are learning more about our great city. That's my impersonation of him. Uh, Reed invited both TikTokers to visit the town and give it another chance. We're glad to see so many people having fun with Zachary Keese's post, and hopefully Ms. Garcia will come back to see all the great things our city has to offer. In fact, if they want to contact me, I'd love to give them a personal tour and show them what makes our city tick. He said that he reached out to Garcia to apologize for the con- confusion. He said he would be interested in Reed's offer of a tour. I've never stopped in the city, and you know, I think it's time to pay a visit. He said, "Garcia all right, said all right, we're good. We're good on this one. I I think that um, I think that this is going to ruin something that is genuine. The genuine posts about all these different, um, like we said, how people do this, where they post a, a cool location and say it somewhere else." I think this is going to ruin it. I think people who are like mayors or, or whatever, some representative from a city, they're going to start paying influencers, paying TikTokers to do, this. to do this as a quote unquote joke, even though they know it's actually going to drive traffic there. That's that's a good that's a good thought. I'll say this about um, if about that part of the country. If they do, I have no doubt. Just knowing what I know about that part of the country, if they're outdoorsy types, it, I'm sure they have beautiful camping, beautiful uh, hiking opportunities in that part of the country. So they're probably already are very pretty parts of Gastonia. And I'm guessing there's a little doubt in my mind that if they stop by, there'll be a diner that would not pass any health inspection, but has the greatest biscuits and gravy you'll ever eat in your life. Great country fried steak. Um, All right, we got time for one more. Just one more. All right, we're moving on. Uh, Let me pick. I've got two. Um, I'm going to pick this one. It's my favorite. I got so excited reading it on Friday. So uh, this uh, moving on to Hampshire, England, Uh, rescued from rising tides. Uh, It was uh, a Jack Russell Terrier called Millie went missing after coming loose from her lead in Havant. Uh, this is from the Guardian, by the way. She was found stranded on mudflats near Portsmouth, and right for those who don't know, mudflats are kind of this area where during low tide they're they're open, you can walk through, and they're kind of marshy. But then when the tide comes back in, it's very dangerous. It's, I mean, especially if you can't swim, and the tide get, it gets very deep. It's not like oh, it's up to your ankles. It, it gets very deep when that tide comes back in. So the tides were threatening to sweep her out to sea. Police, firefighters, and coast coast guards tried tirelessly for four days to rescue her. Derek, what do you think they wound up doing to finally lead her back to her loved ones? 
I want to leave like a trail of dog food. Not know. not a bad not a bad guess. They cooked up a sausage, tied it to a drone, floated no the drone way. right in front of Millie the no dog, way. and just let her right that off is to, fantastic. to safety. See, and technology was, comes in she, handy sometimes. And you know what? We're gonna this is gonna come full circle because those um, those uh, sausages came from Aldi. Ah, okay. So Aldi Good saves PR. the day this time. Good PR for Aldi. So how much that dog is just like, oh no, I've gotten too far out. Where my fa- where's my family? I love my oh sausage. Yeah, right. And then just keeps chasing the sausage. <laughs> like, oh hey, there like, you guys are. That's got to be. But do I get? Did it get the sausage in the end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's oh yeah, important. there were pictures on the on the video. They they Good. it got to where it was going. Then they untied the sausage and and said, here you go. Millie. Do you think that's gonna be the new like, hey, if a cat gets stuck in a tree, they'll just be like, just get the drone. We'll get it out. I, I don't know. I don't know. Just like pick it up. Hmm. Interesting question. Yeah. Very interesting question. Okay. Uh, with Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a time out here when we come back. I know we're going to get the bad stuff out of the way. We'll do the bad traits of YKU wouldn't make a final four. And then after that, we're going to get to the good traits of YKU would make a final four. After that, we'll be joined by Josh Briscoe of Almost Entirely Sports, SI Now, and time's ours to talk Kansas City Chiefs. With Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening in on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. We are in closing on, honestly, toward the end of the regular season. We only have like a month and a week. I don't know. It's like six weeks left. I feel like we should have less than that, though, because January has lasted. Doesn't it feel like January has lasted 10 years? It does. Which is weird. I thought 2021 actually went pretty fast, but yeah, th- this month has been pretty long. Um, it's it, it's odd too because like for me, once you hit February, that's when like things get real for the college basketball season mm-hmm. for KU. Uh, you're in the thick of conference play. You're done with the Big 12 SEC challenge, which is always against a good opponent. Basically, everything post Super Bowl. Yes. Of course, now the Super Bowl is later than it's ever been, but. In the past, post-Super Bowl seems like this is when it gets real in college ball. Well, and even then, like, the week of the Pro Bowl where there's not football really going on, like, yeah. that starts to get more attention. And then you also have just, I, I think, Senior Day, like, whenever that happens for KU this year, that's when it starts to feel like, okay, now we're really kicking into overdrive. You hear the uh, speeches, you start to maybe get a more emotionally attached yep, to some yep. of the seniors, right? When, um, let me ask you this. When do you, because I... I and we, we've talked about this before. I don't take it that seriously, but I always like checking bracketology at like you know like November, even yeah. though it doesn't mean anything. When do you start taking bracketology seriously? Is it about February? So all I I've looked at bracketology a couple times this month, but not okay. like religiously. I would I would probably agree with that. I would say probably middle of February through like, the end of February. Honestly, the so biggest you come time home for from me, your Valentine's Day date, yeah, and then and bam, really bracketology is, time. It's like, babe, wait. Before we watch the movie, I got to check bracketology. Yeah, um, yeah, I I think, too, they usually have that, at least they have over the past, like, three or four years. They've done that thing, and, and they never, like, announce when the date's going to be. All of a sudden, it's just, like, one random Saturday. It's just like, hey, at halftime of this game on CBS Sports, we're going to have the committee release 
what their top four seeds in all That's regions right. would be, I right? I forgot they do exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> I always forget, and they never like promote it. It just happens. And I don't ever remember what date that is. They it, start it's in promote, February, though. Yeah, they start promoting the damn Masters before they start <laughs> yeah, promoting right? the release of the and first I don't get it. 16. I don't get it. But whenever that happens, that's when I start to really get into yeah. the bracketology because I, I also think that once they release that, it gives the bracketologists a better idea of what the committee is looking at, and then yep. you have maybe more accurate brackets. Moving forward. So, so, yeah, we're starting to get to, to crunch time here. And we're going to do a, a draft of the good traits that KU has that we think could be a reason why. You know, if KU makes the Final Four, um, we're going to look back and say, well, this is why they made the Final Four. And years ahead, we're going to say, yeah, but can this team do this like that team did? Um, so we're going to draft good traits of why they could make the Final Four. We're also going to draft bad traits of reasons why they wouldn't make the final four. So we're going to get the, the positive in there. Don't worry. We're going to do that next time. And I always like to get, you know, the the peas and the vegetables out of the way. Let's yeah. get the bad stuff out of the way and then get to the good. So again, if someone says good news, bad news, yes. you always want bad news, bad news first. first. Exactly. Yeah. So we're going to do the bad traits first. Um, we're just going to each draft five. No need to serpentine this. It's, you know, more of just a fun exercise. We're not scoring this for points or anything. Yeah. Um, so I... Do you want the first pick? I'll take the first pick. I don't really care. We'll just go back you go, and forth. You go first. Okay. The number one thing for me of of why this team wouldn't make a Final Four is honestly the turnover rate. Um, they are 10th in the Big 12 right now in turnover rate offensively. And you just can't afford to give up those extra possessions in the tournament. A lot of times in tournament games, things are going to slow down. Right, whether it's the longer media breaks or whether it's just a team trying to slow you down because they're not as good as playing fast and they're the underdog, or I don't know, it's just there's more half court settings with teams playing stronger defense in the tournament because your season's on the line, right? So you have to take advantage of those extra possessions. I'm not even saying KU has to be the best team in the conference or top three or whatever in not turning the ball over, but they can't be the worst. They can't be the worst coming out of the Big 12. They were good at it in the non-con, and then it's just fallen apart. Uh, these traits right now, I should clarify as I'm picking this one first, are not traits that we're necessarily saying can't change, right? Like, any of these traits could change. I could say, you know, as a good trait, well, what if, uh, Mitch Lightfoot turns into Wilt Chamberlain. It's not probably going to happen, but hypothetically, it, anything could happen. This is just based on right now, and right now, KU has not done a good enough job taking care of the basketball. That really worries me, and it also would be giving up easy baskets the other way. So the turnover rate for me is the the uh, top bad trait. Um, I'm going to say, the especially for this team specifically, as big as the jump shot is for them, the difficulty, the enhanced difficulty in shooting in those arenas, because the backdrop looks so much different than it does in a um, in a, a college venue. Mm -hmm. um, it, it just look, looks a little deeper. I'll say if you're looking for good news in that, they won't be playing in a football dome unless they reach the Final Four. The NCAA in recent years has scaled back. It used to be the football arena, or the football domes also held Sweet Sixteen and the Elite Eights. Now you're basically playing in a football or hockey arena through the Elite Eight, and then you go to the, the football stadium, in this case uh, the Superdome in New Orleans, for the Final Four. So that does help, but still those those are a little bigger. The, the background's a little deeper, so I will put that up as my first reason. Okay, my next one, I would go with lack of elite guard play. And again, this is one that it absolutely can change. And I think these two kind of come together with the turnover rate. If the guard play gets better, you're probably turning the ball over less. Um, 
as of right now, though, there have been several moments for me that I've been watching KU games going, man, they don't have the better guards here. The Kansas State game was a good example of that. Like Kansas State, as, as far as lead guards, like, right? If you're considering Ochag Baji a guard, I more so, so consider him a wing. Same with like Christian. I, I'm talking like lead guards here. That is such a big driving force to how teams do in the NCAA tournament. You see the Texas Tech game where you just weren't getting a lot there. Um, still trying to figure out what's going on with Remy Martin. Again, like I said, the Kansas State game, they outguarded them. And this Saturday, I think, is going to be a really good test because you have Kentucky, who has Ty Ty Washington, who's going to be a first-round pick, a guy that KU wanted but didn't end up getting. Severe Wheeler, who was a transfer from Georgia, who was all SEC. Um, he's putting up amazing totals, but he still is, is really bad at shooting. KU was in on him, although I, I think once Remy Martin appeared in the portal, they were like, you know what, we don't need you. We'll go for Remy Martin. And I think that was probably the good decision, though Severe Wheeler is actually putting up better numbers right now than, than Remy Martin, even though I think Remy's a better player. But nonetheless, the lack of elite guard play, something that I think can change. Right now, it is the truth for KU that they don't have elite lead guard play, and that definitely worries me in the NCAA tournament. My next one's going to be you don't have a defender that you can put on their best guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you had Russell Robinson, although that team also, if if their best player was a little taller, Russell Robinson wouldn't wouldn't uh, guard him. It, it'd more likely be Brandon Rush. I mean, you had two guys. I mean, heck, you had more. Mario Chalmers was a yeah, defender, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, last year, of course, Marcus Garrett, you know, if they had a great even if it was sometimes, man, even if it was a big man, mm-hmm. but if it was anybody four through one, you put Marcus Garrett on. the on If their best score was a four through one, Marcus Garrett went on that guy. I don't see a defender that you have that you put on, okay, they've got this guy who's a freak. You just glue to him the whole mm-hmm. game. They don't have that kind of defender. Yeah, that lockdown defender is definitely missing. I mean, Dewan can be a good defender. He's active hands, but it's also dependent on the on the matchup. If it's against a smaller guard, that can work, but against a team that maybe is going to switch more, has some bigger wings and, and stuff, like some of that advantage goes away. Um, ideally, you would say Ochag Baji is this big six foot five wing he could be it, but he has to do so much on offense that you can't really get away with him having to exert that much energy defensively. So it's, yes, that is tough. And I I think um, the next one for me, I'll go with the five-man struggles or however you want to define this, five-man inconsistencies, five-man struggles, whoever it is at the five, like we've seen good games from David McCormick, but because of the inconsistencies, if I were to say Kansas is going to make a final four, that means they have to win four games against good competition. Can you count on the five-man position for KU being good five straight nights. And maybe it doesn't have to be for five straight. Maybe you can get by the first round without him. Maybe you can even get by the second round without him. But can you count on back-to-back games against really good opponents in the Sweet 16 Elite Eight to get the Final Four from the five? I think from what we've seen so far, we've seen some really good performances from the five, but we haven't really seen many back-to-back good performances from the five. So I'll go with that as my number three bad, uh, bad trait. Um, I'm trying to think through this. I, I would say I'm trying to think of a good way to word this, but my next one would be um, this team really plays in such a specific way that if they are they, they don't seem to do a great job with a plan B, particularly offensively. And so if they're forced into a plan B or even further down the list, plan C or D, um, they're going to run into a team that plays defense in such a way that they are just perfect 
at shutting down whatever KU does great. So not a, maybe the way to term this, not enough trustworthy secondary options. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so if if you if you're forced into that, um, you're you know that 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 becomes a little scary because they they could very well run into a team that defends what they do primarily very well. Um, and so then what do you do? What What's your second choice? Yeah, what happens if Ochai Baji is being, you know, guarded by basically the equivalent of a Marcus Garrett and Ochai is only able to give you 12 points on 5 of 12 shooting? Who else is going to step up? And we've seen times where it's been Christian Brown, but of late, he's struggled in the half court. We've seen at times David McCormick, but also, like I said, that's inconsistent. Could Remy Martin be that guy? I don't know. We we don't really know what's going to happen there with Remy come March. So I think that's a really good one at uh, number three. My next one, I will go with the uh, defensive rebounding. This one goes in line with, with the turnover rate. You're just giving up extra possessions, which you don't want to have happen. Now, the defensive rebounding has been better with David McCormick in there and they were at one point tenth, I think, in the Big Twelve in defensive rebounding rate. They've slowly worked that up with some good games against like Texas Tech. They were dominant on the glass against Kansas State. The West Virginia game, they were obviously really good on the glass as well. So they're up to sixth now. And if this keeps trending up, it's no longer a bad trade. It could mm-hmm. actually work up on the good traits list of their defensive rebounding rate. But 139th in the country, sixth in the Big Twelve, as it stands. If they're going to be inconsistent on the defensive glass, you combine that with the turnover rate that I mentioned earlier and drafted earlier, you're just giving extra possessions to the opponent. You're giving them extra shots. Uh, my next one is somewhat of a tie to the last one, but Christian Brown has kind of he's he's shown that he's not scoring great lately, and uh, he only, as, as you've talked about, he only scores in very specific ways, that being transition. And so if, you get, if you're playing a team that doesn't give you a ton of transition opportunities, um, and if Ochai is either off or whatever the case may be, um, you need somebody else to score. And, and I think Christian Brown, I don't know if this is necessarily a a, ba- a negative thing so much as it just seemed like such a positive early. Like, oh my God, you can got you got two guys now who can score twenty points a game, and now that's fallen off. Um, so I would say that Christian Brown kind of coming down from his scoring high. In other places he's still outstanding, but coming down from his scoring high. Okay, I have a couple I could choose from here, which probably is not a good sign. Um, I will go with the free throw shooting. They are just 179th in the country in free throw shooting right now is KU, and we've seen it cost them at times. I mean, the Dayton game, they went, what, like 9 of nine of 20 or something like that in that game that ended up being a one-point game. You win that game if you make your free throws. Baji went 4 of 8 at the free throw line in that Tech game. As great as he was, that was the one bugaboo. We've seen this team miss free throws at... Uh, not an alarming rate, although uh, on certain games, yes. The West Virginia game, they were shooting terribly from the free throw line. West Virginia was shooting great, and it mm-hmm. ended up not mattering because they just blew them out. But in the first half, it, it very much did matter in keeping that game close. And in the NCAA tournament, there's going to be a lot of clutch free throws late in the game. Absolutely. And my next one also involves clutch time, and it is they've shown, um, I can count, let's see, four times now that they have held a big lead and let the other team in it late. Um, you know, Just the, blown leads. The, yeah, blown leads. The Seton Hall game from 20... And now, this this was a year you in mean, which they made a Final oh, Four. Yeah. Seton Hall in 2018. Uh, a lot of that did have to do with that Carrington guy for Seton Hall making freakish uh, threes. But then they turn around in the, the, round in, in the Sweet 16 against Clemson that year. They, they, you know, they messed up. So this is a team that has shown multiple times. Now, with the exception of Dayton... 
uh, they've gotten away with it because in their other loss in Texas Tech, they never held a lead, at least not a meaningful one late. But they've had OU. They've given up a big lead late. Um, uh, Just last the, game, the, Texas, Texas Tech. Tech yeah. There you go. Uh, they gave a big uh, Stephen F. Austin. Big lead Iowa late. State. They were up eight with yeah. I don't know eight so, ten minutes left. Yeah, and and so these aren't necessarily. It's not like they're dropping twenty point leads. Although Stephen F. Austin, they got up by a lot. But it's not like they're dropping twenty point leads. But that you know, you should if your team is good as KU, you should be able to win when you're up ten with eight minutes left. Agreed. Uh, some ones that we didn't hit on, but the two-point defense needs to get better. They're still fourth in the Big 12, though, so it's not, like, alarming. The inability to force steals to get possessions back, even though you're losing some. Um, the Remy-Self relationship, but I think that goes back into the lack of elite guard play. And then you could even argue, just like, you know, there have been some second-game struggles in the tournament for Bill Self as, as far as bad traits. But the ones we took, I have turnover rate, defensive rebounding, free-throw shooting, five-man struggles, and the lack of elite guard play. You took... Uh, Shooting environment, lockdown defender, not having one, I should clarify. Not enough trustworthy secondary options. Christian Brown, some of his offensive struggles, especially in the half court, and blown leads. Now let's get on to the good reasons. If you've made it this far, we're yes. going to reward you with some good news. Yes, we are, of why KU could make the Final Four. With Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. We'll be back for that after this timeout. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Okay, sorry for being a bummer that last segment with bad traits of why KU won't make the Final Four. Let's get to the good traits of why they could make the Final Four. With Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. By the way, coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to talk with Josh Briscoe. Talk some Chiefs here with their AFC Championship game coming up on Sunday, which you can hear here on KLWN. Okay, uh, I, I took the first pick in the bad traits one, and we're just, again, not serpentine. We're not scoring this, so I'll let you have the first pick yep. in the good traits one. It's obvious they have a go-to score. Ochai Baji, they've got a guy that, look, we need points now. Uh, their defense, and I thought, and I said this uh, yesterday, they took a huge step because Texas Tech had everything they wanted guarded. They were good. Texas Tech guarded that last possession where Ochai hit the three to tie it perfectly. Yeah. And they didn't, it, you know, as great as the chop play is that obviously Chalmers scored on, Bet McLemore scored on against Iowa State, that chop play is huge, but it Texas Tech had everything they wanted guarded. And they st- Ochai still was able to get just enough separation. Uh, and, and credit to Dewan Harris, too, because the way he kind of handed that ball off assisted in that separation. Um, it was a little similar to Sharon DeMario, wasn't it? Opposite yeah. side of the floor. Yep, yep. Um, but, uh, so yeah, they just, they get, he got just enough separation in spite of the fact that Texas Tech guarded that perfectly. So you've got one uh, in Ochai, a clear, this is the dude score. Uh, there's a college basketball podcast called Titus and Tate, and they, they do this every March. They call it the Kemba candidates, and they go over uh, guys yeah, like Kemba perfect. Walker who can, yeah. you know, you could also call it, I guess, like the Carmelo candidates. I don't know if they were freshmen, but um, Ochai would have to be near the top of the list of those quote-unquote Kemba candidates of of guys that, you know, could carry your team with 25-point after 25-point night that helps lead you past teams in, in a close game. Okay, uh, my first one. We uh I, I didn't clarify this in the in the bad traits one, but we made like a, a pact with each other. We weren't just gonna take like macro categories. So, you know, if I if I was taking so a his macro next one, one is yeah. well anybody can win it. Yeah, right. No. It or it could just be like, oh, the offense. The offense is elite, so they could do this. No, we're gonna try to take micro stuff here. Um I will go with my number one of a good trait. 
like this is I, I know this is a hypothetical. It's not something that's actually happening right now, but Remy Martin figures it out. If Remy Martin figures you it are out, such a horse's ass. Well, it's like I ju- no, no, no. I just wrote, oh, did you really read to the crowd <laughs> what I just wrote on this post that Remy will turn into Malik. Yeah, yeah Malik, Malik March, Newman or March Malik. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I literally just wrote <laughs> yeah. down as you were speaking. Remy could turn into Malik Newman from 2018. So I don't know what I'm going to pick next, dude. Oh, that's great. Okay, so Remy Martin figuring it out. I think, again, this is a hypothetical trait because it hasn't happened yet, although I guess you could say in the early part of the, part of the season you were getting a good amount from him. But if he figures it out, that is one of the biggest traits to make them. I, I took in the bad traits category the lack of elite lead guard play. But if Remy Martin figures it out, that's no longer a worry. That's no longer a bad trait. It becomes a good trait. And because I think lead guards are so, so, so important in the NCAA tournament, and I think Dewan Harris is a good connector piece, a good glue guy, Dewan Harris is not a guy who you're going to say, oh, because we have Dewan Harris, he's going to be the difference in us making the Final Four or not. Remy Martin figuring it out, that'll be my uh, number one good trait. Uh, my next one's going to be Jalen Wilson is now mm-hmm. putting together multiple. Now, he didn't shoot particularly well against Texas Tech, but he really he's starting to put together multiple fine games, if not great games. There were a few great games in there, mm-hmm. but at the very least now he's starting to put together multiple good steady games yeah that's a good one and and he can be we've had this conversation a couple times about what you need in the tournament and and I keep mentioning that lead guard play but outside of that other things we mentioned we'll say you got to have a good coach you got to have you know you got to be able to make stops defensively um you got to have a kind of matchup nightmare and then you have to have somebody in the post that can at least get you the occasional bucket in the half court Jalen Wilson has the ability to be that matchup nightmare guy for KU right um, so that is is very important, and he's obviously been playing very well. Okay, my number two one, Bill Self in close games. That is a very. Were you about to write that down? Not write it down, but it was going to be my next choice. <laughs> it was going to be not not just Bill Self in close games, but Bill Self specifically again. Everyone talks mm-hmm. about KU struggled against kind of lower seeds like VCU and teams like that. But if you actually look at what Bill Self does against other top five or top ten teams, he's amazing. Yes, he is. He is far and away incredible. The, the in his time at KU, he has been far away the best against AP top ten teams. Yeah, and when you look at like the KU staff mentions this all the time, like the fifty fifty balls, and they've tracked them over the course of their their tenure at KU, and and typically on a given year, they actually win like seventy percent of the fifty fifty balls. Which I'd be curious to know how they're doing this year. Um. But Bill Self is like that in close games. A lot of times close games are just like, okay, it's 50-50, it'll even out. Bill Self is so good at out-of-bounds out plays and drawing things up and winning close games that having him in the NCAA tournament is such a bonus for KU. And yes, you could sit there and say, well, there's so many times that KU has underperformed their seed. But it's like, you look at, you know, there's not many coaches that have more than one national title in college basketball. Um he is still a fantastic NCAA tournament coach. As many Elite Eight dropouts as there have been, he's still, when you look at like NCAA tournament win percentage or amount of Sweet 16s, Elite Eights, Final Fours, National Championships won, he still ranks near the top of college basketball coaches. Bill Self is so good in close games, that is a huge good trait to have. And I'm, I'm old enough to remember when uh, Roy Williams, and, and you you obviously you didn't start following KU very closely until about 2012-2013, even though you knew who they were because you were a big sports fan. Um, but I'm old enough to remember, and, and 
that when Roy Williams couldn't, oh my God, he could, he just can't make it past the damn Sweet Sixteen. He just can't do it. Um, Ninety seven, they're what would have been the number one overall seed if they seeded the ones. Arizona, ninety eight, Rhode Island, ninety nine, Kentucky, two thousand, DePaul, two thousand one, Illinois against Bill Self. By the way, oh my God, Roy Williams cannot. Oh yeah, sure, he made two straight two, two Final Fours in three years, but that was all the way back in ninety one and ninety three. Roy cannot get past the Sweet Sixteen. In his two, last two years at Kansas with a Final Four in, in a national title appearance, and then two years later he's holding up the trophy in St. Louis in 05. So point being, he figured it out. Yeah. Um, my next one is going to be uh, offense is more important than defense historically in the tournament. We've heard that from a lot of our guests, and it proves out to be very, very true. Now I would like I think their Ken Palm as of time of this recording I think their Ken Palm defense is like 48th or 49th. But as Matt Tate said yesterday, or was that Monday? I think it was yesterday. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. Matt Tate said that, you know, it's not a, or maybe it was Flaherty. Regardless, one of our great guests suggested that it's not a huge, it's not big to jump from 49th in Ken Palm defense to like top 30. That's, even though that's a lot of people in front of you, it really only takes a couple decent games to jump that high. So if KU can maintain this elite top five offense, and they can get their defense just to, you know, top 35 basically. It's kind of proven out time and time again that if you want if you ha- if you can only choose to be elite on one side of the ball, offense is the side of the ball you want. Yeah, like the the difference between the number 6 defense and the number 20 defense is like 4 points per 100 possessions adjusted whereas the difference between the 50th best defense and the 20, 20th best defense is also four point, right? Yeah, yeah, so there's a, there's a thicker, I guess, category of the teams 20 through 50 that you can easily kind of rise up between. I mean, Baylor last year had fallen off to be a, they weren't even a top 40 defense by the time the tournament ended. They ended up with a really good defense because they figured it back out. I know Duke a couple of years ago when they won the title in 2015, their defense was not in the top 50 either. They ended up like with a good defensive rating because they just went on a roll at the end of the season and, and things started to matter more and, and so forth. So I think it's easier to to move up on that end than the other end of the floor. Okay, my next one, the two-point offense. Um, KU is 13th in the country in two-point offense. They've been a little bit further down in Big 12 play. They're fifth in Big 12 play in two-point offense. And I, I do think there is a big correlation with that. And KU's played a lot of good defenses and a lot of the good defenses in the Big 12 have that no middles defense where they're basically saying, no, we're not going to let you shoot easy twos. We're going to make you make threes. And you've played Texas Tech twice. So two out of your seven-game sample in the Big 12 is against one of the best defenses, one of the best two-point defenses in the conference. Basically what I'm saying is they are better than the fifth-best two-point offense in the Big 12. But again, when you add up all the numbers, they're 13th in the country in two-point offense. You're going to be in situations where you need easy buckets in the NCAA tournament. Two-point offense, that's a good thing to be uh, be good at. My next one seems a little macro, but I'm going to I'm gonna make it micro and how it can be specific to this team. Motivation, they're pissed off from last year. Um, and I immediately think back to Scott Chasen tweeted how angry Devon Dodson looked toward the end of that Auburn game when Auburn was crushing KU in the 2019 tournament. And obviously Devon Dodson was amazing. Uh, sadly, as we all know, um, even though missing out on the tournament was was not nearly high in, 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 you know, things that were awful about the pandemic. But the fact is that the tournament didn't happen because of the pandemic. KU went into that tournament as one of the highest favorites in, in years. 
almost equivalent to a, a, as big a favorite as Villa, from the advanced numbers like Ken Palm, as big of a favorite as Villanova was in 2018. Um, so they, they were very much a favorite in that tournament to at least make a Final Four, if not win the whole thing. And I think they, and, and I read a story this year that is it, um, and I, I feel bad, is it, is it Nijim, 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 Ramsey? Yeah, Ramsey, Nijim. Ramsey, Ramsey, Nijim mm-hmm. wrote in their very first day from their the very, yeah, their, their, yeah, the strength and conditioning coach, um, from the very first day of their strength and conditioning training this off season, he wrote 85 to 51 on a whiteboard in their, in their, um, weight room and they got, they got embarrassed. It wasn't. It wasn't just like okay, you know, yeah, you come up short in a, in a good tournament game. They got embarrassed against USC, and I think this anybody competitive has pride. Christian Brown was on that team. We see how easily he gets motivated. Um, so I think they're just you know I think they're they're chapped from how badly they exited last year's tournament. Okay, I'll take three point offense next. So I just have two point offense, three point offense. Uh, they're forty third in the country in three point offense. They are second during conference play in three-point shooting. Now, there is a little bit of a worry for me of of how much of this is just being held up by one guy. Like, is it a little house of cardsy? Because if Ochagbaji doesn't shoot well from three, does this go away? I mean, Christian Brown is is basically an average three-point shooter. Um, Jalen Wilson has not been a good three-point shooter. Dwan Harris, you know, limited attempts. He's fine from, from downtown, but you still do have other options. Like Jalen Coleman-Lance is an elite three-point shooter. Zach Clements, I don't know how much he'll play, but he could come off the bench and hit shots. We haven't seen Joe Yesifu hit shots, but he shot 40% from three in, in March last year, and um, I still think he can hit shots, if, again, if he plays. Uh, Jalen, as, as much as he's struggled, I do think the three-point percentage will go up because he's missed a lot of open threes. If Remy Martin plays... There is another good three-point shooter out on the floor for you, more of a good um, off-the-dribble three-point shooter than anything. The sum of the parts, though, again, mainly led by Ochai, is the fact that they are second in the Big 12 right now in three-point shooting, and offense is just so prevalent nowadays. Offense and and three-point shooting is so important in the NCAA tournament. I mean, if you look at what team outshot the other from the three-point line in the NCAA tournament, I'm sure it would be a heavy... uh, mismatch to whichever team outshot the other from three won the game uh, i'll take three-point shooting as my fourth category uh my last one i'm on my last one right yes i'm gonna go and i know i i talked about ochai you know kind of becoming the the go-to dude and, and especially you saw you know he scored a bunch of points late even though it was christian brown that hit the the three against oklahoma of course ochai had the the final points against k-state and then of course sending it to second overtime against texas tech but i think they have this kind of goes against that, but that I'm talking with Ochai. I'm talking about when the game's coming down to it. With with this, I'm going to say multiple guys when the shot clock's running down. Mm-hmm. When you've gone through, all right, you know, you bring the ball up. You know, you've brought the ball up, so now there are 24, 25 seconds left on the shot clock. You go through set one, that doesn't work. Reset it. You go through set two, that doesn't work. Reset it. Now you got seven, eight seconds left on the shot clock, and you kind of got to scramble. They've got you know Christian Brown who is showing it you know who can drive you know athletically can drive Jalen Wilson um can drive uh, Remy Martin if, if he comes back and, and steps up we show you know at the end of the st- at the end of the shot clock against Stephen F Austin can that big three so they have if if a if a if a set breaks down and the then the and the shot clock's running down they've got multiple guys that they can score and they've also got a team smart enough to know like if I'm David McCormick 
shot clock's running low. I may not get the ball, but I have a chance to seal my guy to give an easy layup to somebody like Christian Brown. And I think that's an example of when it is working versus not working because in your bad traits, you had not enough trustworthy secondary options. When it's not working, like against Texas Tech for the secondary options, that is the case. But when it is working and you have all-league level Christian Brown and, and second-half Dave from last year and all these things, you do have those multiple options. It's just kind of something that... KU needs to find more consistency there. Okay, my last one, I'll go with offensive rebounding. I saved this one for the end because I don't think it's as important. Like, we've seen some elite offensive rebounding teams not go far in the tournament. I can think back to, like, some West Virginia teams that lost in, like, the first round, like, to Stephen F. Austin one year that was elite, elite in offensive rebounding. So it doesn't always correlate with tournament success. But for an elite offense to have as well, to get extra possessions for an elite offense, it becomes more important because those West Virginia teams sometimes or other teams with good offensive rebounding numbers, sometimes they have good offensive rebounding numbers because they have no other choice. They have a bad offense. They have to collect missed shots so that they can get their offense. With KU, it's more of a luxury than anything. And if you're feeding extra shots to a good two and three point offense, uh, that can be kind of a driving force, I think. Can I add an honorable mention? Yeah, an undrafted absolutely. honorable mention? Mm -hmm. Final four is in New Orleans, and that has been a kind fact for Kansas. What is the history there? Uh, well, it was in New Orleans in 82, which did, Kansas didn't make it that year. However, the next time it was in New Orleans, KU was a two seed. They had to upset one seed, Indiana, uh, to in, uh, in 91. In 93. Okay. Yeah, they had to upset number one. Uh, I think I confused that one with Arkansas then. Anyway. Arkansas was 91, yes. Okay. They were two. They were a two seed, in, in, I think they're actually a three seed in '91. Mm -hmm. Two seed in '93. They had to upset number one seed Indiana to go to the Final Four, and the, they beat them in the Elite Eight. Next time it was uh, in New Orleans. They were a two seed. They had to upset number one seed Arizona in Anaheim to go to the Final Four in New Orleans. And in 2012, when their only option was Thomas Robinson, they were a two seed. They had to upset number one seed North Carolina. To go to the final so four, KU needs in a two New Orleans. Seed. KU needs a two seed. So <laughs> New Orleans final fours. It, it has been. It, they haven't won a national title in New Orleans, but it's been kind at least to help them get there. Knock on wood that continues. Other honorable mentions I had written down. Uh, if Dave is playing really well, CB balling out like he was in December, and then three point limitation on defense. They uh, have actually been really good at preventing teams from taking a lot of threes, and that can always be important in a one-game sample where the more threes they take, the more variance that the game could have. All right, those are the good traits of why KU could make a Final Four. Let's do some good and bad idea with Josh Barisco along with some other Chiefs talk. He joins us next at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. With Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Five o'clock hour, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Joined now by Josh Briscoe of many different titles. You can uh, follow him on Twitter at JB Briscoe. Is that the correct Twitter tag? Yeah. Okay. And that's basically all that matters. Everything else, you know, I'm pretty good at shameless self-promotion. So, like, if you want to watch me do my best Guy Fieri impression, like, there's I literally do. a video of that on my Twitter right now. 
Yeah, uh, I thought about putting one of those in Good Idea, Bad Idea, which we will uh, do later <laughs> in the segment, but uh, I guess we'll just wait and see on that. Um, oh, that sounds great. I can't wait. Can you name something that you can do at an elite level in 13 seconds? Not FCC compliantly, I can't. <laughs> um, let's see. I could check my blood sugar in 13 mm-hmm. seconds now. Probably. That's pretty unique. Um, I could. I bet I could eat a small I could fit a small sandwich into my mouth in 13 seconds. Um, I could probably do six and a half push-ups. Do I try? <laughs> I don't. I don't know if that's elite. You know. Uh, no, at an elite level, no, definitely not elite. Yeah. No, definitely not. Um, you know what? I could probably. I could probably speak at an elite level in 17 second increments, in just terms of number of words per that chunk. Um, that I would put up against most people, I think. All right, so do you want to answer every question in 13 seconds or less? <laughs> <laughs> only, only if you only want this segment to be five minutes long. Yeah, and even then, I don't even know. That would be a lot of questions I'd have to ask, which I don't even know if I'm prepared to ask that many. Um, how much of a yeah. concern coming off a, a game that that's incredible, that mm-hmm. ends up that crazy of a game and, and wild, that you have a, a kind of a letdown this week, even though it is the AFC Championship? Yeah, I think people are a little bit afraid to like ask that question because it feels like questioning if Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and, and Travis Kelsey are going to be focused or not. And so I'm not taking it from that angle because I think they'll all be focused. I don't think this is going to be like a look-ahead game by any means. But I do think it's super reasonable to ask a question about, like, hey, you might have just had a victory that in some ways was even more emotional than a Super Bowl victory or last year's AFC Championship game victory, uh, certainly since at least the Super Bowl win, I would say. Where you, just, you put everything out there. It was an instant classic. Everybody knew it as the game was happening. I, I think it's totally reasonable to, to ask that, that inquiry of, hey, I mean, is this going to be a weird week for you guys because of the way that, that last weekend went? Um, I think they'll be ready. I don't know that we'll necessarily see any evidence of that, but I do think it's something they've got to be aware of within the building. I think that's kind of how I'd split my difference there. Yeah, there's kind of a fine line between, and and this is more of like a, I don't know, fan talk or radio host talk, of like team of destiny versus Mm -hmm. you almost just something crazy happened and then you're going to have a letdown. And, And I can name off several different, you know, teams who had this incredible win I mean, if we just want to go NFL, you can think back to, like, the Minneapolis miracle, right, with Stephon Diggs, and then the next week they just get crushed by the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, But you could also point to teams where something crazy happened, and and maybe they were the team of destiny, so to speak. So I I think that's that's going to be kind of interesting this week, and and it's just weird because you would think, okay, it's AFC Championship. There shouldn't be an issue getting up. It's against a team that you lost to already. But you see the point spread come out at seven points, and, and I thought that was uh, a little bit higher than I, I was maybe expecting it to be. I I just can't help but wonder if, if maybe there's not enough talk being given right now to uh, the Bengals possibly just winning this game. Yeah, I think that's fair, too. I would have I would have taken the under on, on seven. I think I've seen it might have moved to seven and a half a couple places already. Uh, I, I do. I wonder if if the Bills would not have played such good football on Sunday, if that line would be lower to say nothing of the Chiefs playing any differently, but just like we all saw the Chiefs push to the brink and still win that game. So I, I simultaneously was a little surprised by seven 
and also think I would probably take the Chiefs to cover that as of right now. But that is, I mean, that is a touchdown. The Chiefs beat the Bills by six. That was not a six-point football game, right? Like, final final lines is obviously, you know, uh, uh, not always a great indicator of how the game is actually going to go. And I, I don't think, to kind of go back to the earlier question about, you know, a letdown, I do not think that the Chiefs are going to do any sort of, like, exhaling on the Bengals, which might be the, the, the faint silver lining of losing that game to them back in, I was going to say week 17, but it was, yeah, we, it was week seven. Uh, yes, week 17, game 16 of 17. I'll get used to that eventually. Uh, but, but losing that game to the Bengals, at least, I think, makes it inarguable that you have to respect the fact that they can beat this team. They needed some weird stuff to do it, though, which is kind of why I think that the Chiefs should still be okay this weekend. Yeah, if, if I uh, had to basically cut you off at the knees here and, and pigeonhole you do, I guess – biggest takeaway from that game on on Sunday against the Bills that didn't include Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, or Travis Kelsey, or or even Tyron Matthews' injury? What would it be? I, I think it might be the Stephon Diggs-Gabriel Davis trade-off, where Stephon Diggs is absolutely silent. Two of Bill, the Bills' 36 points had anything to do with Stephon Diggs. He got the two-point conversion. He was, what, three of seven, I think, on the – yeah, three yeah. of seven, uh, including the little, uh, little two-point conversion. That shutdown is really interesting, but then also Gabriel Davis puts up 204 touchdowns. Josh Allen post game was asked uh, the, the reporter just the inclination or the, the, the inference in his voice or whatever of, of uh, you know I want to ask you about uh, Gabriel's two second t- second half touchdowns or whatever the phrase was. But, oh yeah, implying that there were two earlier that we don't even remember anymore because that's the performance that he had there. So I, I would take that and kind of lay it over both the first Bengals game and also this upcoming Bengals game because we saw them get cooked by Jamar Chase, but in a game where they didn't get a ton from anybody else. It was kind of the inverse. T. Higgins had a couple of plays, and, and Tyler Boyd was, was relatively a non-factor. And then the flip for the Bills is that it, it wasn't the guy they were keying in on to slow down. It was Gabriel Davis who stepped up and punished them. So I, I think that that's kind of a takeaway just as I try to figure out what the chief strategy might be coming up this weekend of, of do they try to treat Jamar Chase a little bit more like they did Stephon Diggs, or was Diggs just a better matchup for the guys that were across from him, and then what are they going to do with Higgins and Boyd? The running back position for the Chiefs was kind of a, a talking point, at least for us, coming into the week last week with sure. the idea of Clyde Edwards-Alaire coming back, and, and what would that mean at the running back position? And um, it was almost we were kind of concerned, is, is this going to be kind of sunken cost fallacy? You know, you've used all these resources mm-hmm. on this guy to play running back when Jet McKinnon is playing really well. Like, just keep rolling with Jet and maybe have Clyde come off the bench. But I don't think either one of us, at least here, expected that to actually happen. But that ended up being the case. Um, Clyde looked pretty good coming off the bench. What do you make of kind of the Chiefs running back situation right now? I think the sunk cost thing is still something to keep an eye on. I, if I had to put money on it, I would bet that Clyde over the layer takes the first hand off of the 2022 regular season. Like, I just think that that's going to be relatively open and shut. And even that is reasonable, right? Like, I don't know if Jarek McKinnon is going to be able to repeat the stretch he's on right now for a full season or early next year or whatever. But, but for the immediate of, of these playoffs, yeah, I, I think that, and I'm trying not to make every running back conversation go back to the sunk cost and the end of the draft picks and everything. People are sick of it, and at this point, it doesn't really impact you know the game they're going to play against the Bengals, right? So specifically just with what they have right now, I think we might have seen 
just about their best setup. Now, obviously, Darrell Williams was inactive against the Bills, and so I, I think that there's room for him to get a few touches in there as well. But I, I like Jarek McKinnon being the guy that's out there whenever the offense is trying to do the offense thing. As a unit, trying to do their most cohesive thing all together. I think that McKinnon fills that role better than, than anybody on this team has since Damian Williams opted out and, and then was let go. So I, I still feel that way about McKinnon, at least for the, the rest of these playoffs. And also, I don't think that it is a coincidence that Clyde Edward Lair got a very limited workload came off the bench, got a couple of, of drives that were sort of his, a couple of nice plays out of that. He ran angry and was efficient and was not the guy getting forced handoffs on second and long, all that often. The, the situational stuff matters there. I think Clyde and McKinnon's both strengths and limitations kind of all play into that that mix-up of what that position is. And it's, you know, the NFL's 500th example of how your best bet at running back is to use your guys for, for things they do well and to not overinvest in any of them, but to find the guys that you can mix and match into one collective unit. Tyron Matthew did not practice today. If he can't go, how much does that affect, do you think, the Chiefs' ability to, to slow down Jamar Chase in that offense? And, and how much do you think they will continue to just play Jamar in single coverage? because, I mean, everybody reasonably looks at the Bills game and sees those four Gabriel Davis touchdowns pretty much right down the middle of the field. I think one of them was a little farther left than the others. But they were pretty much right down the middle. And you look at that and you go, wow, I mean, this, this chart right here is what Tyron Matthews' agent should bring to the table this offseason. And, and that might be true on some level, but it's not like this defense had any answers for Chase the first time around. So I, I think that there is something to uh, losing Tyron Matthew and some of the communication issues you saw. I also still think that that reflects not great on Steve Spagnuolo and, and the rest of the players out there. If Matthew can't go at all, this is a, a point I'll steal from my friend Seth Kaiser, where, where he said, you know, if, if Matthew's not out there, maybe it forces the Chiefs to do a, a little bit more in terms of simplicity uh, and a little bit less in terms of really trying super hard to disguise these coverages. And you want to try to confuse Joe Burrow if you can, but I'm much more concerned about him having to be confused because he looks at Jamar Chase and sees that he is not open for once more so than just the way that the coverages are moving around pre-snap and at the snap. So uh, with or without Matthew, I, I think they have to respect Jamar Chase more than they did the first time. But the other thing that's bizarre to me, and I've been thinking about this this whole week, is that game is kind of the outlier for the Chiefs' defense. Uh, again, like you know, Stephon Diggs is, is the most recent example, but you could do it for everybody throughout the AFC West. You could do it for C.D. Lamb whenever he was playing. Obviously, they didn't have Amari Cooper in that game. You can do it for um, any of the Steelers' pass catchers, basically. You, you, can, you can go through the list and see, hey, did, did the number one option on this team actually have you know eight catches for 160 yards or whatever? And it doesn't happen very often. But Chase did do it. I think partially that's because of where he's able to do it. I, I don't know if, if Spagnuolo doesn't think that there's much you can do about trying to limit an alien running down the sideline and, and just going up and over. You know, a guy like Traverius Ward who's actually had a really nice season and, and had a great game against Buffalo. I, I, my concern is that, is, is that they feel like they get one corner and the boundary, and maybe that should be enough to cover Jamar Chase. But we saw a few weeks ago that it obviously wasn't. But I don't think Spags is just going to copy and paste the game plan, at the very least. We're talking with Josh Briscoe here of Almost Entirely Sports on 810, Times Hours on The Athletic, and Arrowhead Report on SI Now. Uh, Josh, you ready for another edition of Good Idea, Bad Idea? Never not been ready. 
All right, let's do it. Uh, complaining about Tyreek Hill not getting called for taunting. Good idea, bad idea. Dork idea. Uh, <laughs> listen, if, you, if you're if you mad that your team got called for taunting at some point and Tyreek Hill didn't there, I understand. We just got to get these taunting rules out of here. Like, letting that go was the right play, regardless of, of if it was enforced well or not earlier in the year. Bad idea. Could you almost argue that the Chiefs would have had a – an easier path to winning if it would have been called against them because they yeah. would have been at, what, the 20-yard line and they would have had a minute whatever left. They could have ran more clock. Josh Allen wouldn't have had enough time to go back down the other way and score. Yeah, that's actually a great point. I might have actually done them a favor. And the, the ref was in left them score mode, and, and the, the Bills were also, and the Bills uh, just then scored too fast. The Chiefs scored too fast. The Bills scored too fast. The Chiefs scored too fast. The Chiefs scored again. What a game. I mean, come on. It's incredible. All right, uh, changing overtime rules. Good idea, bad idea? Still a good idea, I think. I'm not super-duper heated about it. I wasn't super-heated about it whenever they lost to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game a few years back, even though the Chiefs did, obviously, as I'm sure you know, uh, make the rule change proposal after that season, and it didn't even get voted on by the NFL. I, I, I don't feel an enormous amount of sympathy for teams that lose off a touchdown in overtime because you've had 60 minutes and even then, like, if you want it to be a team sport, your defense has a chance to even just hold them to a field goal. But also, I, I wouldn't mind both teams getting a possession either. So I'll say it's a good idea, but I'm not enraged by the current setup. Um, signing Juju Smith-Schuster. I've seen that after they almost signed him last year. I've seen that uh, rumor yep. pop up today. Good idea, bad idea for this offseason. It was a good idea last offseason. I think it's only a slightly less good idea this offseason. Uh, I would I would love to see him in Kansas City. I I have the slightest narrowest hesitance about him being the like quote unquote answer about for the rest of their wide receiver depth. And this team's gonna have Tyree Kill, McCole Hardman, and, and Byron Pringle on it next off or next season. Beyond that, I do not know who will be on the roster. If it's Juju and a guy they draft that they think has some real upside, then I'm cool with it. If it would be just Juju and they wouldn't spend a day at least a day one or day two pick in the first three rounds there on a receiver. Then I think that would kind of be a, a hustling backwards idea. But generally, it's a good idea. Letting Ju and Jackson Mahomes create a joint TikTok. Good idea, bad idea? Great idea. I mean, team chemistry off the charts in that spot. The Chiefs become the official football team of TikTok. Uh, I feel like it can only help grow their brand. It gives it gives both of those guys, you know, a, a creative uh, a creative outlet to work together, and just even more incentive for uh, for Juju to stick around Patrick as well. I feel like that's all good ideas. Okay, last one I got for you: you cooking the burgers with your high V yeah. burger uh, Guy Fieri situation, as opposed to watching the guy cook it and eat it. You cooking them yourselves. <laughs> It's a good idea for me to like cook it at home, you know. In mm -hmm. that situation, in the Ivy kitchen, probably a bad idea. Uh, Chef Kelly had his stuff together there, so I, I would not have I would not have swept in to, to cook myself. But if he would have handed me a spatula and be like, "Hey, just for fun, you do this one, uh, little little baby guy Fietti," I would have been ready for the moment. Uh, and as I've said many times, I just kind of want to be like the Parks and Rec director of Flavor Town, and I feel like this puts me on the path for that. Good idea. Yeah, I want to see you in like the whole chef's garb, like big chef's hat. I want to see you yelling yeah. at, at the different <laughs> employees there, like, "Where's the cheese?" All this stuff. I, I want to see that. Yeah, I can get, I can get into my Gordon Ramsay mode for sure. <laughs> there we go. All right, uh, Josh. Before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. Thank All right, you. Josh. One last thing. I'd like to propose yeah. a question. The whole mission for the Chiefs these last few years has been to put a ring on it. 
And to do that, they have to stay really active and engaged. Now, yeah. I'm no model theologian, but did you think they even had a prayer with 13 seconds left? You know, Adam, that's a great point. Uh, something was off about your delivery there. I don't know. You need to clear your throat or something? Yeah, uh, so, it, yeah I'll, I'll get that fixed. Yeah, just if you want to just work on that, uh, and uh, I don't know. I mean, look, you, you've always been the, the bright and shining diamond of this show since you've made your, your appearance on it, and I, uh, I really appreciate the chance to come here and, and week after week uh, be able to, uh, to rue back. I mean, to run it back. Um, that grew back as a, as a free endorsement there. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I've been on, a, I've been on a heater not being in the hospital, but at, since from that point on, you know, uh, but I don't think I've had 13 seconds. Well, you know what? I probably proposed in 13 seconds, Adam. I, well done. I, that probably happened there in, in under the, under the 14 required. So I actually, I actually might have as good a 13 seconds as the Chiefs did. I did not think they were going to win that game when that, when that kickoff landed. I, I was paying attention. I would not have told anyone to walk out of the stadium, but I would not have predicted a win there. He is Josh Briscoe, almost entirely sports, Arrowhead Report, Times ours. You can follow him on Twitter at JB Briscoe. Josh, thank you so much for the time as always, man. You guys are the best. Anytime. That's Josh Briscoe. I'm Derek Johnson, along with Adam Dravetta. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com, KLWN app, KJ Adams Audio, next.